Hey everybody, welcome to episode 254 of the Running Rogue podcast. This is your host, Chris McClung, back to you after a week off post my marathon and excited to come back to you with some post-marathon musings, some post-marathon musings on the back of the big Chicago and Boston weekend. I want to talk about the elite races, I want to talk about my own race, and I want to talk about your races and some takeaways that I would encourage you to think about for those who may have raced and or those who may need these takeaways from another race so that you can process and do what I talked about in my last episode, which is consider what's next. So here are my own post-marathon musings after a result, which for me wasn't exactly what I wanted. And I know many were in that same boat due to challenging conditions on the weekend of Chicago and Boston. So let's jump in. Let's start by talking about how good it was to have races back. I want to just start there and make sure we reflect on the magic of that. I was in Boston. I had runners in Chicago as well. I know there were a few little glitches related to the weekends, including really long bib lines in Chicago at one point. And I know in Boston, some of the buses got lost and dropped people actually at somewhere around mile one and a half of the course. And then they had to walk uphill back to the start line to get things started. And so there were some little glitches, but for the most part, from what I could tell, everything went well. And at least from my vantage point in Boston, it felt like races were back because yes, we had certain small changes to protocols, but to me that didn't impede on the overall energy of those days. And then especially in Boston that I saw the spectators were out in force from mile, particularly mile 13.1 and beyond. And it was just a magical, magical day to have the energy of races happening again, to have the crowds and 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 magic of the crowds i was a little bit worried that the experience might feel like a shell of a normal boston experience but it absolutely did not it was there in all of its glory and those last 13.1 miles were absolutely amazing with the crowd support the energy the magic of the day it felt to me like a normal boston experience in all of its glory and that was really cool to see so i just wanted to first just reflect on how amazing it was to have big races like that back and i hope it sets the tone for other races to come that that we can do this safely because these are outdoor dynamic environments where we can do it safely if if we have the right protocols in place and so it was good to see Chicago and Boston happen because I think that will hopefully create a little bit of a domino effect as we go through the fall with other races that will follow. But they were back. The energy was amazing. I hope you felt it regardless of maybe how your personal outcome went. And that to me is the headline here. Races are back and I'm just thankful for them to be back. But let's talk about the front of these races Really good. We'll break it down. Chicago first, then Boston. Amazing to see three Americans on the podium in Chicago. Galen Rupp, of course, finishing second, just 23 seconds back in the men's race. And then, of course, Emma Bates and Sarah Hall going 2-3 in the women's race. They're way behind 
champion, Ruth Chepin Gaddich, the world champion, who went out in an absolutely blistering pace and ultimately faded significantly, but still won by nearly two minutes over Emma Bates. So really great performances here. Kira D'Amato, by the way, finished fourth, another minute back of Hall. So Americans on the women's side went two, three, four, which was amazing to see in tough, tough conditions. I'll admit that these races were a little bit hard to watch. The NBC announcing was great because Paul and Kara did an amazing job from an announcing perspective, but they did not have the camera situation sorted well in Chicago. I'm not sure exactly why. I think it could be related to the fact that that field broke up so quickly with Ruth going out so fast, but who knows? Either, no matter what, though, NBC screwed up the camera coverage on the women's race, particularly in Chicago, and so we don't, we don't really, we didn't really have a good view of how that race was playing out. But it ended up getting strung out from the beginning with Ruth Chepengadich going out in absolutely blazing fast paces for the, especially for the conditions, and then it was a race of attrition from there. Ultimately, Hall was shooting for a 223, which she thought would win. And ultimately, she faded as well. And so really, it was just a battle of attrition. Most of the top women faded over the latter half, except for Emma Bates, who ended up running an actually a slight negative split to finish in second, which is absolutely unbelievable in those conditions. But clearly, she stayed within herself very well throughout the race, going in that what was supposed to be the third pack behind Sarah Hall and with Cara D'Amato and ultimately managed her race very well and finished better in the second half than the first to pull into second place as that race went on. But that race was just tough. Watching it when we did get those views, most of the top women were running by themselves or in perhaps small packs that included some of the sub-elite men. And... That must have been difficult because we saw from the conditions that it was hot, it was humid, and it was windy with gusts of 20 to 25 mile an hour winds in certain spots. And so some of that solo running was made even more difficult by the wind. And that race strung out. And as you saw, it was a war of attrition. And ultimately, Emma Bates did the best in all of that as as one of the few athletes on the day that was able to run her second half faster than the first. Great to see Emma get that podium spot. She is, of course, an athlete on Team Boss, coached by Joe Bossard with Emma Coburn and Aisha Pratt-Lear, Kate Grace, and that whole crew, Corey McGee, Dom Scott, etc. And they are doing amazing things, obviously, so it was good to see her break through. She ran really well previously in the marathon at CIM. And so we knew that this potential was there, but we didn't know how it might play out on a world major like this. And so it was great to see that come through. She got second, Hall faded to third, but still had a solid result in 227. And then Kara D'Amato, fourth, coming back from the injuries that she's been prone or she's been prone with most of this year. So great results on the women's side for the American women. And all total, we had seven in the top ten. So really cool to see that. And then of course on the men's side, Galen Rupp, I've got to give him props. He was 
yo-yoing a bit off the pack for a long time, but but ended up finishing really strongly in, in really just a slight positive split to run 206.35, only 23 seconds back of the winner. That, to me, is an amazing result in those conditions, to be able to run 206 in those conditions and to fight back the way he did as he was kind of yo-yoing later in that race. So hats off to Galen Rupp for earning another podium spot at Chicago with that second-place finish. And he led the way for the American men. We had four others in spots 6 through 10 in Chicago, but Galen was far and away the best of that group. So solid run for Rupp. That gives us three Americans out of six podium out of six podium spots in Chicago, which is really, really amazing. Now it has to be noted that this field from an international perspective wasn't necessarily as strong as normal because of the way that talent got distributed across London, Chicago, Boston, and then ultimately New York and Berlin. So this wasn't necessarily as strong in an international field, and I think from an American perspective, it was it was relatively stronger than normal. And so you saw that in the results with three of six podium spots for the Americans. Then turning to Boston, an amazing day there. Fun to, to see it in hindsight. I had to DVR it myself so I could kind of go back and watch it. The Americans were not necessarily as strong in the final results, at least relative to the podium, but definitely some some solid results to mention. Of course, you had C.J. Albertson on the men's side take that race from the beginning and really try to set the tone and get a gap, and he did get a pretty big gap. It ultimately got reeled in, but he was able to hold on for 10th place in 211.44. Really impressive result for him, all told, after leading much of that race and getting reeled back in by the main pack. And then Colin Benny was the seventh spot, 211.26, as first American to be the second American in the top 10 at Boston. Overall, that race was pretty slow and then got really hot towards the end with many of those men running negative splits, but solid by Colin and CJ to hang in there. And you got to give CJ a lot of credit for going for it on this one. Ultimately, he was reeled in, but you know he held on for top 10, so that's impressive and still impressive that he had the courage to go for it. On the women's side, Nell Rojas was the story of the day. She actually ran a negative split to run a 227, finished top American in sixth place. Got a shout out Edna Kiplagat, who the 41-year-old Kenyan who has won this race before, who finished in second in a 225. An amazing result for her. She lives here in the Boulder, Denver area in the U.S. And so she's an athlete that I'm always rooting for when she's in these races as one of the the Kenyans that I believe you can root for and believe in. And then Nell Rojas again, sixth, very solid 227. After winning the 10-mile U.S. Championships against Jenny Simpson not long ago. And then, of course, from there, it trailed off a little bit for the Americans. But that's okay. Des was in this. She came into it a little bit injured. Did not have the day that you would normally expect from Dads, but still ran a solid 235 after having less than ideal training. And then you've got to shout out Shalane Flanagan, who ran 246 in Chicago on Sunday, came 
back to run 240 with a negative split in Boston on Monday. An absolutely amazing result from her beating Jordan Hesse, at least by net time, which is pretty unbelievable. I just am completely blown away by what she's been able to accomplish running now at this point, five of the six majors with one to go in York coming up. I mean, Shalane's just doing absolutely ridiculous things in, in putting these times up between 235 and 245. And I'm in complete awe, especially this back-to-back from Chicago to Boston. So amazing days. And by the way, Norho Haas is someone to watch. I believe she was previously unsponsored and is either just picked up a sponsor or will be picking up a sponsor. And so she's a name to watch as the first American in this one. But all in all, great races from the Americans in Chicago and Boston. Exciting races up front on both sides. Shout out to Paul Swangard and Kara Goucher for calling these races. The Boston race was better coverage in terms of the video that we got to see of the women's race when I was watching that in hindsight. So it seems like NBC solved or fixed that issue going from one to the other. And then, of course, the announcers did an amazing job. So all in all, great races up front and then great races throughout. I know that it was difficult to have some of the weather conditions that we had. Chicago obviously being the worst of the two days. But even Boston was still tough, especially for those that had later starts. So these were tough, tough days. And so anybody who showed up and got it done, regardless of the outcome, to me, should be proud. I can tell you from my part in Boston on Monday, I ran about eight minutes slower than I was planning to or or shooting for. I'd adjusted my paces a little bit based on weather. And so my hope was to run a 255 based on the weather adjustments with a slight negative split. Came through the half in just under 128. And then my legs were done by mile 18 in a way that I've never really felt in the 20 marathons that I've finished. And so from that point forward, is it was a death march to the finish. And ultimately, I would finish in 303. Not what I wanted on the day. Don't necessarily have a ton of good reasons for why that happened, especially relative to some of the results of my training partners who all did much better than me, but that's okay. That is the marathon and I was just happy to ultimately be there, but I must say I've been processing the the day over the last 10 days as I record this today and so wanted to, with that in mind, with my own race in mind, kind of give you some thoughts about what to think about these races from a coaching perspective and from an athlete perspective. I had athletes performing in both Chicago and Boston. Of course, I ran Boston myself. And it's at times difficult to process these outcomes. But I want to just give you some some of my thoughts on how to process these outcomes, especially in light of the weather conditions that we had, so that you can apply that to thinking about what's next if you go back and listen to my previous episode. So let's process it a little bit. Let me give you my post-marathon musings outside of the elite races. The first one I have is that it is important, absolutely critical, that no matter how your race went on those days or on another day if you're racing somewhere else, is you have to feel all of the feelings. You have to feel 
all of the feelings. If you're sad, be sad. If you're mad, be mad. If you're frustrated, be frustrated. If you have any other feelings, if, if, if things went well and you're elated and excited about that, dig into those feelings. Sometimes people want to skip those feelings even and move on to what's next as they get greedy thinking about what's to come off of a good result. And so don't do that either on the the negative side as well as the positive side. Feel whatever feelings that you might be having. And some people will tell you, they'll give you a 24-hour rule or I've heard 72-hour rules or I've heard one-week rules about how long you're allowed to feel all the feels. Personally, as a coach, I don't necessarily put a time limit on it. Sure, at some point, you got to stop feeling the feelings if you're three weeks down the road and still mired in those feelings. But I don't like to put a put I don't like to put a time limit on it because you can't necessarily put a time limit on how long it's going to take you to process those feelings and sometimes it takes a little more time and sometimes you might have feelings on top of feelings where you go from sadness to anger or vice versa and so you need to be able to work through both of those without rushing that period of time and so for me it's not necessarily about making sure you're done feeling all the feels by a certain point but rather that you're really just being present and leaning into those feelings when they come and for as long as they come don't move on to be thinking about what's next or or getting too detailed about processing the lessons learned from a bad race or good race until you're done feeling all the feelings from the outcome itself and just give yourself space and time to do that it might take one day it might take three days it might take three weeks if so that's okay let's say after three weeks then you need to start considering that maybe it's time to start moving through that or I would get help by get help processing those feelings if they're still lingering at that point but don't put a time limit on it necessarily just give yourself the space and time to feel the feelings as they come and when they come recognize them for what they are but then sit and just be in them and let them manifest in whatever ways they're going to manifest I can tell you from from my own personal experience, I've, I'm definitely disappointed with my outcome in Boston. I thought I was in better shape. And the main goal for me wasn't necessarily to run a certain time, but rather was it was to run a smart race and execute my plan and ideally finish strong. My, my number one goal was to be strong finishing on Boylston and to run a negative split. I wasn't able to do that for reasons that I'm not fully able to explain but but ultimately that'll be okay but I'm telling you after the race itself I've been feeling all the feelings I can tell you immediately after crossing the finish line I enjoyed that moment I love running down Boylston I soaked all of that in because you have to you have to approach Boston that way but but when I got to the finish line I wanted to be done I wanted to get out of there I did not want to linger. I walked straight through the finish area, straight by the gear check area, and straight by the photo area. I just went straight through, grabbed some water bottles, grabbed the food they gave me, kept going, grabbed a, bl- a space blanket, kept going right out the finish area, and then I walked the mile or so back to my hotel more or less quickly, as quickly as possible. And I just wanted to be 
in my own space back in my hotel room so that I could process that disappointment in the moment. And then I just leaned into that and I have been leaning into that. And I, and I'll tell you that those feelings have been all over the map for me. I haven't necessarily had anger, but certainly sadness, disappointment, confusion over what happened. There was a fleeting moment where I thought, I don't want to do this marathon thing again. What's the point? Is it worth it? And I knew that feeling wouldn't last, but it was there for a fleeting moment. And I had to acknowledge that, sit in it and process it. And so I've been doing that myself as it relates to my race. And I would encourage you to do the same. Some of you may have already processed all of that, but if you haven't, that's okay. Lean into it talk to others about it. I do find that it's helpful to commiserate with others on the day. We at Rogue had a a post event on Monday night at the Black Rose there in Boston, which is one of our Boston traditions. And so we met up the group of us and just commiserated. Some people had good days. Some people didn't have great days and we got to talk about it. And for me, that was actually a big part of my healing process is just commiserating with other athletes that had the same experience, both positive and perhaps more challenging. And so that helps me process and it may help you process as well. I can tell you that there are some that will want to tell you that it's okay and that you still did well anyway, or they'll want to give you the silver lining perhaps of the day And it's fine to thank and acknowledge those comments when they come and maybe file them away for when you can be in a more logical receiving place. But if you're not ready to hear those things, don't don't necessarily feel like you have to listen. Obviously, don't be rude and don't push those comments away, but acknowledge, thank, set them aside, maybe write them down somewhere else or Put them aside in your memory bank that you can pull out later when you've processed all of the emotions. And so give yourself that time. Number one thing, no matter what happened, feel all the feels. And look, again, if you had a good race, awesome. Feel those feelings too. Do not get ahead of yourself. Sometimes after a good race, we want to immediately think, oh, I've got to capitalize on this. I got to jump to the next. And then people do that without properly enjoying, celebrating being elated, giving yourself the opportunity to feel those positive vibes and feelings as well. So rest and sit in either side of the equation, feel all the feelings. And only when you're ready and you feel like you've gotten all of that out, do I want you to then think about and process the lessons from the race. And I'll get to that in a second, because we can't process the lessons. We can't think with a clear head, really until we've processed all the emotions because inevitably those lessons will be tainted or perhaps biased by the feelings that we're having instead of being able to assess the lessons with a clear head. So number one, feel all the feels. Number two, in the context of that, and maybe on the latter end or right as you finish feeling all the feelings, that I want you to also remember to have gratitude for the experience. Have gratitude for the experience. 
This is one of the themes that I had for my for our group in Boston. I always do a pre-race talk in advance on that Sunday before to inspire and remind people what to take into the next day. And one of my lessons in that talk was to have gratitude first. I still think that applies after. Have gratitude after as well. I've talked about it already. We had the opportunity to race the first Chicago, the first Boston back post-pandemic. It had been a year and a half for Boston and two years for Chicago. And so to be a part of that in all of its glory with all the runners, all the spectators, all of the magic of those days, that is amazing. And don't lose sight of the fact that just being there, just showing up, just getting it done is magical. And we should be thankful of that opportunity, that privilege to be able to toe the line in these sacred spaces in our sport. And for me, that couldn't have been hammered home more strongly in the middle of my race, actually, on Monday, when I ran by at about mile seven and a half, an athlete, a woman, young woman who had collapsed on the ground and was being attended to by what looked to me at the time like fellow racers and perhaps some volunteers from the side of the course. And I would see in passing that woman pass out head facing in the direction of the course, eyes seemingly rolled back in her head. She was being, or she was, they were giving CPR to her in that moment with three people hovering over her. And then I would continue down and see the EMS coming to help as well. And in that moment, and interestingly, I was actually right before I saw her, I was thinking about how grateful I was just to be there. And then I saw her like that and it really put things in perspective, so to speak. There was a lot of sadness initially that something like that could be happening to a fellow runner. There was also some hope that she was getting the attention that she needed. And so I remember thinking, really thinking about that moment for about three miles before I was able to put it in the back of my head. But then when I got to the finish line, I couldn't help but think about that woman and what had happened to her and whether she was okay. So I searched for that that day, didn't find anything, didn't see anything about anyone dying. So I was hopeful about that. And then ultimately we find out on Tuesday, the following day that she lived. Her name actually is Megan Roth. You can find her on Instagram, find her story now in many places, but she went into cardiac arrest at mile seven and a half of the Boston Marathon running in the low sixes and just so happened that there were other athletes around her that were trained to help with CPR and including a paramedic named Nick Haney who would stop and help coordinate CPR as a paramedic and fireman and he was the one I saw giving her chest compressions when I passed And so they were able to give her chest compressions, keep that blood flowing until EMS showed up and was able to revive her ultimately in the ambulance on the way to the hospital. And now she lived. It seems that she had some sort of cardiac arrhythmia, irregular heartbeat that caused her to go into cardiac arrest and she could have died, but she was happened to be in one of the best places you could be, which is surrounded by runners and no shortage of five or six people ultimately helped before EMS got there from 
from reading the accounts of what happened and they were able to ultimately revive her and she's back home now and seemingly has a good prognosis. And so it's just, it was sobering to see that. It's sobering to think about what could have happened had she not had the right attention immediately. It's amazing to think about those runners and the strength of the community that, that, that we have, that they would stop and render aid. And one of those athletes, Nick Haney, he would ultimately go on after helping for about five minutes, he would go on to finish the race in 302, which is unbelievable that he would be able to get things together and then go finish the race. And so to me, that's just a testament to our running community. It's also a reminder that whole, all those circumstances are a reminder to just be grateful that we have the opportunity to do this. And, and it's amazing regardless of the outcome. It's amazing regardless of the outcome, especially if you're able to do it in Boston and Chicago. So don't forget in all of your feeling, all the feelings to remember to have gratitude for the opportunity to tow those lines and to do what we do to challenge ourselves in the way that we're able to, because not everybody has that opportunity. So that's number two. Number three, then it's time to process the lessons of the day. It's time to process the lessons of the day to figure out what you can take from it and what you can carry with you going forward. Because regardless of the outcome, again, it's always important to learn and and move, move that into the next space so that you can take what you've learned and apply it going forward. But I want to just note some points here about processing the lessons from these days because of the challenges of the weather, it can make it confounding. And I want to particularly point out for those that ran Chicago, you had probably the worst conditions for marathoning that I've ever coached, that I've ever had athletes working through. 70 plus degree temperatures, 90 plus degree humidity or percent humidity, winds gusting to 20 to 25 miles per hour, which some people said made it actually feel better at sometimes, but still that was hitting you at points during the race that is is difficult when to me is one of the most difficult variables to manage. So the trifecta of bad conditions in Chicago. And for that reason, a lot of people struggled. Now, yes, there were some people that still had good days and that's amazing. Those athletes should be celebrated, but I caution you not to compare yourself because many more athletes had bad days simply because those are not conditions for marathoning. Those temperatures, that humidity, those winds, they will affect your ability to have a good day. And if you didn't have a good day, whether it be by a little or by a lot, do not overthink the lessons from your race from Chicago because the number one far and away reason why you had a bad day, whether big or small, was because of the weather. Full stop. Don't think further about it because that weather was absolutely atrocious. And if you had a bad day, I guarantee you that was 90 plus percent of the reason why you had a bad day and you shouldn't overthink your result because of it. With Boston, I think it's a little bit more nuanced because the weather conditions were 10 degrees cooler, similarly challenging humidity, but it was overcast and I feel all in all didn't feel quite as bad 
as you might expect. And so I think there were you were more likely to have some good races in Boston, but ultimately it still affected people. When I went back and looked at my race data, looking at my heart rate in particular, I saw that it was actually a little higher than I would have thought considering how I felt. So I think the, the conditions in Boston were also a little bit sneaky. Again, some people would have managed them well because they weren't as bad as Chicago, but I think in many cases they kind of snuck up on you, particularly for those that had a later start. And so you had conditions in Boston that were less than ideal. Again, not as bad as Chicago, but still less than ideal. And I think would account for many of the challenges that people had in Boston as well. Personally, I felt like my muscles were completely zapped by mile 18, which is really earlier than I've ever felt that in a marathon. And I think it could be partially because of the heat and humidity. Now, that's not to say that everybody would be affected in the same way, but it is to say that that could be something that happened to you and that's okay. And so my point here is that weather was a big factor in these results, especially in for Chicago, but definitely for Boston as well. And you need to make sure that you're keeping that in context when you're thinking about your race results. Because I had, I've had people who had really tough days, really bad days in both places want to think about making some big wholesale changes when the reality is, I just think these were bad weather conditions. And most likely, just as I alluded in my last episode, you only need small tweaks in training and then you just need a better race day situation better conditions on race day in order to then go get another result and so when you're processing these lessons i can promise you regardless of which race you did that weather was the biggest factor if you didn't have a good day keep that in context and if you're if you raced in chicago i would argue that that was the reason why you didn't have a good day for anyone who didn't have a good day and I wouldn't overthink the other lessons. Don't overthink the other lessons. Do not throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak, in terms of your lessons to take forward. Know that, hey, sometimes we just have bad conditions. And then you have to separate your race result from your training results. The two things always are working in parallel, but they're not necessarily in full sync. In the ideal world, they are. In the ideal world, training results and race results all sing this happy song. And they both both things come together to get great outcomes in training that flow, flow forward with great out, outcomes on race day. But that's not always what happens. In this case, for many, the two things are completely disconnected. You could have had amazing training results. You could have gotten to a better place than ever in your training. You could have been fitter than ever from your training, but not have now the direct evidence of that in a race outcome because of the conditions. The conditions wouldn't allow it. So don't, again, throw the baby out with the bathwater. Recognize that you could still have amazing training results, even if the race result wasn't amazing. So when you're thinking about your lessons, if the race went poorly and it seems to simply be weather related, throw that part of it out and then think back to your training. Think back to why you felt like you were in better shape than ever. What did you do in training this time to get you to that place? Consolidate those lessons or hey, maybe if there were some things that you could have done differently in training, then 
certainly think about those things, note those things, but do not make wholesale changes because the weather got in your way during the race itself. So that's caution that I want to put on anyone that would try to take away lessons from Chicago or Boston because I guarantee you weather had a big factor and therefore you have to be cautious about doing anything too crazy or too big. I can tell you that one of my toughest races was the Martian Marathon back in 2015, I believe. And that year it ended up getting up to 75 degrees, really warm late in the race. And it definitely affected us. That race wasn't my fastest marathon, but I ended up running about four minutes slower than I had wanted to do on that day. And in the moment, I remember being very disappointed and thinking in the emotion of it all, digesting my training and thinking, man, I must make this change and that change and this change in order to get to where I really thought I could be. And in hindsight, and once I got a little bit of space from the result, I realized that that result was one of my best results, even if it wasn't a PR, because I was able to run as fast as I had run in really poor conditions. And ultimately, the training did exactly what it was supposed to do. And the lesson wasn't that I needed to change anything in training. The lesson was that I needed to do more training exactly like that and just hope for a better set of conditions on race day because the race day conditions didn't allow me to showcase the training in a way that I had hoped. And that's going to happen. That's marathoning. So process those lessons, but in the context of the fact that weather was a significant factor on both sides. So that's your next step. The third takeaway here is feel all the feels, remember gratitude, remember that this is cool that we get to do this, then process your lessons, but only in context of that terrible weather and separating out training lessons from race result related lessons. The last point related to lessons is I just don't want you to overthink it. I don't want you to overthink it. There's no need to get really detailed here. Again, weather was probably the biggest factor. Beyond that, don't overthink it. If there are obvious lessons, if there are things that hit you in the face, take those lessons. But don't overthink it. For me, I'm telling you, I don't honestly know what happened. Could have been humidity, could have been other factors, don't know. But I am resisting the temptation to overthink it because ultimately it doesn't matter. I know exactly what I need to do in my next training cycle. And it doesn't look that different from what I just did in my last training cycle. I've got to keep doing what I'm doing, make a few small tweaks in considering what's next. And then I got to get another cycle of training under my belt and hope for better conditions during my next race. That's it. So don't overthink it. Keep it simple as you process those lessons. Finally, the last lesson for the day here, and then I'll have some concluding thoughts, is don't rush to what's next. Don't rush to what's next. A wise man once told me that you shouldn't sign up for your next marathon until you've forgotten your last one. And while I don't necessarily think you have to completely forget your last one before you can sign up for the next, I do think you need to make sure that you've gotten through the emotion of this race before you jump to what's next. And I want you to definitely avoid the temptation to sign up for a makeup race in a month, two months, four months, doesn't matter. 
Your body has to come off of this race, detrain, and then you have to build again, retraining. And yes, you'll start from a higher place because you have training under your belt from the last cycle, but you still need to go through the proper cycle of detraining in order to retrain to a higher place. And you cannot, absolutely cannot rush into another race quickly. If you do that, it'll be sub-optimized, plus you're also risking injury and risking potentially affecting your long-term potential by going for some sort of short-term redemption. So do not, do not, absolutely do not sign up for another race in a way that is reactionary. Now, I have to note there are some there are some exceptions to this rule, and those are all case-by-case case individual exceptions. For example, I had an athlete who didn't finish Chicago because he ran 15 miles and then had full leg cramping on both sides that was so debilitating he couldn't actually continue. And so for him, and this was his first marathon attempt, we're going to sign up for another race to get that race under his belt before he can then in a future cycle, think about running for a certain time. And so, sure, there's exceptions to the rule. But in general, if time is your goal and you're targeting a PR or a certain time, do not, absolutely do not sign up for another race quickly. Let yourself detrain. Go through the proper recovery process, which for me is at least three weeks of relatively mellow training and running, and then build again in a proper cycle over the next four to five months for whatever might be next. But give yourself that ability to come off this high, even if you didn't get the outcome you wanted, and then rebuild again. Because it will allow you to rebuild to a higher place because you're consolidating all the training from your last cycle. And it will also allow you potentially to go after a faster time in that next race. Just because you didn't run what you wanted in this race or get the benchmark outcome that you wanted doesn't mean that you weren't fit enough to get it and doesn't mean that you can't just blow right by it on the next one. And so think of this as just simply a missed checkpoint on the path to some higher potential. And you can still get there if you properly take your lessons, detrain and then retrain in the proper way. And that's where I would then point you to last week's episode or two weeks ago, episode 253 on considering what's next so that you can properly rebuild, make a few tweaks to your training and then come back to a higher place. So, so there you go. Those are my lessons. Feel the feels. Remember to have gratitude, process your lessons, but don't let that be clouded by your judgment that weather was definitely a massive factor in both of these races. And then, of course, don't rush to what's next. Take your time, process those lessons, properly detrain, and then retrain to a higher place using some of those thoughts from the last episode on how to think about tweaking your training for what's next. And so as we wrap this episode, for me, I just want to show my gratitude to the running community. I can tell you that while I didn't have the outcome I wanted. It was absolutely amazing to be back in Boston again. Boston itself showed up in an amazing way, not just the fans that were there in spades and in force, but also just people on the street. 
when I was walking back to my hotel, hundreds, literally hundreds of people in the mile from the finish to my hotel congratulated me on the day just because I was walking with with the marathon medal on. They didn't know what time I ran, but they congratulated me and seemed genuinely happy that I was there to do my thing in Boston for the city. And so, so that's cool. I think it's cool to reflect and think about the power of the running community, being able to come together, the runners themselves, bringing the energy that they brought in Chicago and Boston to show up, give their best, give their all in tough conditions to show up for each other. Like Nick Haney and company did for Megan Roth to help save her life to show up for each other and supporting each other along the way and to show up for each other afterwards. And I want to thank the running community that is rogue running our athletes, our community, because you guys are amazing. It's a privilege and honor to lead and be a part of it myself as an athlete. And of course I want to thank all of you for listening because I wouldn't be doing my thing if I wasn't inspired by those listeners that are constantly checking in with me, thanking me for what I'm doing and telling me their stories about how I had a small impact in their life and their running in a way that made a difference. And so for me, as I walk away from a tough race result, I just have to also remember and ooze my own gratitude, just thanking all of you and our broader community and our road community for giving me a place to do what I do. It feeds me. It feeds me as a coach. It feeds me as an athlete and it makes me happier. It makes me happy. So want to thank all of you for that and thank all of you that showed up in Boston and Chicago to do your thing. May not have been the day you wanted, but I promise you that day is coming if you keep doing the work. And so don't do anything crazy. Be level-headed, feel the feels, but then be level-headed, be smart, be prudent, keep doing the little things and the consistent work to get faster and it will come, I promise. So with that, I will wrap this episode 254. As always, you can check us out at roguerunning.com or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Rogue Running. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon.